0: All right, let's jump right into today's episode. All right. Hello, Molly. Welcome to the show. We are in for an exciting show today, you guys. So we are doing this as a video, first ever. Molly is my first YouTube interview. So you can listen to this on the podcast or you can come over to YouTube and join us. So I want to welcome Molly McGrath, second time on the show, her first time on the show. The reason I actually brought her in that time was because I listened to one of her podcast episodes and she said something very courageous and kind of forward, something along the lines of, your employees don't want your crappy job or something like that. It was a great episode. And so now I'm bringing her back to talk about her new book, Fix My Boss, How to Cultivate Respect, Have Courageous Conversations, and Increase the Bottom Line. And Molly, I love the title. I've got an early manuscript from your publisher. Thank you for that. So I would like to know first of all, well, before we get into that, uh, first let me introduce or have you introduce yourself and tell everybody what I already know, which is that you have such a unique position to be able to write a boss book because you've sat on all sides of the table behind various desks. So yeah. tell us a little bit about you for people who haven't heard the other episode.
1: Yes, and thank you so much for having me again. I'm completely honored and this is my favorite conversation to have so my name's Molly McGrath. I'm founder of Hiring and Empowering Solutions. I've been in the legal space since 1997 and as Anne said, I have built Um, multiple legal organizations. And I started out as, quote unquote, just the legal admin um, in a national uh, network of estate planning attorneys, legal organization. I was hired to provide client services, member services to our law firm owners across the country. Through that um experience, and I think it's important to tell my backstory because everything I write about, speak about, talk about is in the vein of sitting, I I've sat in every seat from a CEO to a leader to a entrepreneur and business owner to an employee, starting out really truly at the front of the house in the legal space. And so through that, I was lucky back in, it was probably late 90s, uh, the legal organization brought in a, a expert coach, and we started a coaching program for the law firm members. And we'd have these quarterly conferences. Every 90 days, we'd shut down, and law firm owners would come for an entire week to a collegium and a practicum and learn technical, legal, marketing, software, team development, practice management, what have you, when in my knowledge, you know, my experience, there weren't a tremendous amount of organizations out there doing that, talking about that, teaching that in the late 90s. And, um, so every 90 days, about 1500 law firms across the country would come and bring their support team member, which I was super grateful and thankful for. And, um, it was interesting because we would get to the breakfast tables, the coffee breaks, and things of that nature, and we'd mingle with the members. And you know, you would turn to your left and talk to the attorney and say, "Oh, what's the greatest challenge in your practice?" And they'd say, oh, business would be would be great, but for the employees." And then you would turn to team members, paralegals, legal assistants, what have you. And we'd ask them, you know, tell me what's working, what's not working in your role. And they're like, oh, my job would be so great if the attorney would just let go of control and stop being a control freak. If they would start to give us proper time, attention, feedback on our work, et cetera, they're the biggest bottleneck. And I quickly realized, I'm like, there's a massive breakdown. They both want the same thing, but they're not speaking the same language. And so I went to my um, boss leader and said, there's a massive problem here. You're coaching all these attorneys, but there is no coaching or consulting or leadership for these team members. And the attorneys are saying, I wish people would step up and lead and stop delegating back up. But the perspective from the paralegals, legal assistants, et cetera, is they want to, but the attorney is not allowing, giving them the space and grace for that.
0: Hmm. Okay. I like that. Wow. So that must have been interesting. It gave you a lot of insight and perspective to hearing it from so many different angles, so many different
1: firms, size of firms, probably. Yep. Different size of firms, by and large. Most of them were in the transactional side, estate planning, elder law, Medicaid planning, uh, some some court, probate and trust administration, etc. But for the most part, yeah, all different sizes, all across the country, one hundred percent across the board. And I even said to you know my attorney, coach, boss, like if you don't believe me, why don't you run a survey? And sure enough, we did. And 100% of them came back with that same essence and tonality. Wow.
0: Okay, so you're writing a book, Fix My Boss. Now, what's interesting, I would love to get your your thoughts on this. When I read it, so when I read the title, I thought, oh, this is a book for paralegals or legal assistants, legal staff, um, or any staff really, doesn't have to be even a law firm. But the title, Fix My Boss or Fix Your Boss, tells me that it's going to be something that's going to give me the tools to fix them. And mm-hmm. yet when I read it, I thought, oh, wait, There's it's kind of from both sides. Is it Fix My Boss or Fix Myself? Because I'm the boss that needs <laughs> fixing. So can you tell me a little bit about that difference there?
1: I, I absolutely love that you picked up on that. So thank you. It tells me that I did my job because it's the exact um impression that I wanted to leave because when I w- first started writing this book, I w- it was titled "Fix My Employees" because that was constantly what I would get from attorneys. You know, can you fix my employees? They're not stepping up and leading. They're not putting their time in Clio, or they're not tracking their time. They're not following process. They're not 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 not. And then when I would say, okay, well, let me real quick, let's get on a phone call. I will talk to you and your team member to really get do a deep dive and figure out what's working, what's not working. Like, okay, this is not the problem. Actually, the reason is there's so many barriers that you know I was hearing from the team that wasn't available. So my publisher started going through the manuscript, what have you. They're like. And through interviewing me, they're like, okay, why is this book different than any other business, self-help, whatever book out there? And I said, I will tell you, I will never forget, I was managing a law firm in Tampa, Florida, and they did a fundraiser, like a garage sale for giving money for um, single wayward mothers, what have you. And um, they all were bringing stuff from home to run this garage sale. They had all their clients come, what have you. There were 14 employees employed by this law firm. Every single one of them showed up with a box of books that were books that their boss gave them that landed like, you need to read this to be fixed. Every single one of them, they all had the exact same books, good to great, the seven habits, the e-myth, whatever. Not one of the books were cracked open. Not one of them were ever read. It wasn't because they were all bad employees and very resistant. No, it was because the 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 whole premise of the book was written for the business owner perspective and written in a way for to delegate this to your employees to be fixed. And that's how it landed. It's how it felt for them. So I picked the title. We collectively picked the title with my publisher, Envisioning somebody walking through the airport going on a business trip or what have you, and seeing on the bookshelf a book called Fix My Boss. Well, the entrepreneur, the boss is going to pick it up to say, Whoa, 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 what is she telling my people? And the (laughs) employee is going to pick it up because they're going to say, Wow, yay, finally somebody really gets me. They see me, they understand my perspective. And when you crack it open, It's really a conversation and a framework for both of you to get on the same playing field because in my experience, you really truly both want the same thing. You want to do good work. You want to make a difference for clients. You want to feel like you are a value creator in your positions. You want to feel like you're in full control of your workload, of your calendar, of expectations, what have you. And so one of the chapters that I'm really passionate about is Courageous Conversations.
0: Well, that's a good segue because that's exactly what I was thinking as you're saying that, (laughs) that my favorite part of it, I mean, you give lots of tips in there. So, And we're not going to talk, obviously, we don't have time to talk about the whole book, but I would love to talk about that section because as a former paralegal manager and a paralegal, that one really struck home to me, the eight keys to an empowering conversation because so much of the problems I saw as a manager, having attorneys who would you know, blast somebody on their year-end performance review and me go to them saying, what happened? They were a great paralegal in January. Now in December, you know, you're giving them one ratings and they just never thought to tell the paralegal. Anyways, there's all these different instances that I was thinking of as I was going through those eight keys. I would love for you to walk us through, well, first, what is your definition of the courageous conversation?
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. You know, there's a book way back when that was called Crucial Conversations, or we hear about brutal conversations. And I think so often as team members, and in fact, it goes with the attorney and the boss too. They don't like conflict. I'll hear Mm -hmm. that so often from attorneys. I'm like, you're trained in conflict. But when it comes to their employees, they will call me and say, I don't like conflict. How do I handle this conversation? Will you have this conversation for me? You know, and team members vice versa would consistently call me and say, you know, I'm struggling with blah, blah, blah. And I will give them the precise like script framework to come in with facts without emotion to really show up like a leader with CEO language, not showing up like a complainer, what have you. And then they still wouldn't be able to do it. And for me, a courageous conversation is when you are so rooted in making a difference for having a breakdown to a breakthrough, and you are so committed to whatever it is that you need to speak about, so... You know, for the paralegal, if it's that you know, I I need a legal assistant. The reason I'm not hitting my billable hours is because I'm spending so much time on admin or what have you. Or the reason I can't get my work done is you don't reply to emails, you don't get your review work done, and things of that nature. And p- the greatest piece of courageous conversations when you come at it with facts without emotion and you're coming at it with a proposed solution. I always train my legal admin team. Don't ever come to anyone with a problem unless you have a proposed solution because you'll get more enrollment and engagement in that regard. And so for me, you know, the courageous conversation on both sides of it, you know, I have many, many attorneys that, you know, are deathly afraid to say to someone, "You're starting to make a lot of mistakes." Like you said, Whoa, 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 what happened? They were great in January, now they're getting a slammed with a horrible review in December, and I think it's because people don't have real conversations in real time and be able to address it. So, for example, if that maybe that paralegal started making um, a lot of mistakes in the documents or what have you, or they noticed that they were late on getting, or they're not reaching their billable hour requirements or what have you. But the attorney is going so fast or whoever their supervisor or leader is, there's a few things that happen. Either they don't want to have the conversation, especially in this market, because they're deathly afraid that they're going to quit if they leave them. And then, oh boy, I don't have time to hire, train, what have you um things of that nature number 2 they're just going so fast they have this mindset of oh it's just easier for me to fix it but you've experienced you know multiple typos or what have you and we'll talk about the reason it might be happening in the first place but you just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down And don't have the conversation in real time. And for me, a courageous conversation is when you notice it once, touch it once, have standards within your law firm where you're having daily huddles, where you're having weekly team meetings. Part of the agenda, I force my firms to have what did not work about last week. And everybody needs to have something that didn't work. If you don't have something that didn't work, you're not on a path of growth you're not having real conversations in real time. So for that example, but that paralegal imagine in my experience, when I really force my law firms to have the conversation, especially the attorneys, it's very, I mean, it's shocking to a lot of employees. They think, oh, my attorneys, you know, they're, they're trained to be uh, in critical conversations, crucial conversations in the courtroom, what have you. But when it comes to you all as team members, they don't know how to have the conversation, and so imagine a world where you had that conversation, and you sat down with Susie and you said, "Okay, great, Susie." And you have quarterly reviews. Um, I call them employee growth plans, and you also have time every week in your you know stand up meeting, if you will. Okay, what didn't work about last week, Susie? I noticed that you you know out of the four documents I reviewed that. Um, Four of uh, three of the four had typos and the naming conventions or what have you. We're missing really simple stuff. And Susie can say, you know what? I'm really glad that you brought brought that up because I've tried to get time on your calendar over and over again about the intake team that you hired in the Philippines and they're now outsourced and what have you, or the information that I'm getting, or if it might be, you know, we can solve it in real time. And the other side of that, is when you're seeing these multiple things, and maybe you're not going to do it in a group session, but you're going to take Susie out for lunch and have a one-on-one, and you ask her some really, really per- powerful questions, and she divulges to you that she's going through you know, a lot of personal trauma, or she's dealing with her workload's overwhelming right now. You know, The associate attorney is this, or the paralegal is this, and this is what I think we really need to do, Imagine a conversation like that that's happening when you know it in January and you're having it in February versus mm-hmm. December, how you can yeah. turn everything around in your law firm,
0: yeah, but so one of the things that you brought up, and this might be jumping ahead a little bit was the was one of the keys, which is having the conversation about facts and not emotions. I think that is critical. Like I can imagine you're upset about something and I think you even gave an example of instead of saying I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I'm this and I'm that state exactly what it is. You know, maybe it's like what you said. Well, that intake team that you hired from the Philippines to save money is costing me time or, you know, come to them with facts instead of emotions that how do you do that? How do you keep your emotions out of it?
1: You know, I love that. And I always train people because this is more so on the support team side, especially if, I mean, I think I can say this here, especially for women, we're always so afraid that we're emotional, that we're sensitive, what have you, especially in a law firm environment, we want to show up professional. We don't don't ever let them see a sweat or cry. Mm -hmm. And I tell people it's It's like riding a bike. You have to try it on. So if, you know, when it comes to facts without the emotion, you schedule time on your attorney's calendar, which hopefully you have regular time scheduled for reviews and check-in and what have you, but you schedule time on their calendar and you put the subject matter on there. I want to review our intake process and how it's impacting the life cycle of the file, how it's impacting my billable hours And you have bullet points right there. So when you schedule time on their calendar, you or if you're going to their legal secretary, executive assistant, you give them the data and the facts and the information. Because otherwise, they're going to go to Storyville and think that you're coming in to quit or ask for a raise or what have you. So you want to prepare it just like you would for a board of directors meeting. And then when you come in, listen, the first time, if this is new for you and you're not used to that, you probably will get emotional. So what I like to say is bring the tissues in the room with you if you know that about yourself and preface it and set this stage and say, okay, You know, I'm studying with Anne. I listened to this podcast. I read this book, Fix Your Boss. I really want to step up and lead. I really want to start issue spotting. I really want to start coming to you with proposed solutions and suggestions. And right now, this is a little hard for me. So I might get a little bit emotional about that. But, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, all it takes is 20 seconds of insane courage you bring the emotions up, they come with you, you name them, you already identify it, and then you say it. And then when you have your data points, and you're anchoring to that, they just dissipate. And now it's you treat it like a board of directors meeting and always coming from the perspective of how it impacts the client, how it impacts the firm reputation, how it impacts the law firm, and then how it impacts your job. So the one in the Philippines, you know you hired this intake there's a lot of mistakes what have you and you know here's what i noticed it's taking me an average of 2.4 hours per file matter now to chase down information it's taking me and you're coming with time and money and and in the impact on you from an energy perspective as well and the impact on the attorney I can, I can imagine that when you, I love that you told me you saw these, that you're starting to see a lot of mistakes. I understand the impact you, and I want to be a, a problem solver. I don't want to create extra work for you. From my perspective, where I'm seeing, here's the areas that I'm noticing that we probably can make a two millimeter shift and eliminate that. I
0: right, So I'm curious, do you have any advice then for someone who, like, because I always tell Paralegals that um, attorneys don't want to hear excuses. You know, when something goes wrong, they don't want to hear excuses about this late filing. Or would you call it, it's not excuses that you're saying, right? It's the people in the Philippines, it's this, it's present them with actual data about the mistake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say, and I love that you said that because they don't want to hear excuses. And usually the excuses end with a period at the end of the sentence. Well, the reason I didn't do this was because the outsource team you hired in the Philippines or what have you. And then there's a period at that sentence. You're not coming to, okay, great. When you're anchoring to process and production, and again, the facts without emotion. You're anchoring to that with real live data and information. And the sooner you can do that, then it's not an excuse. It's an excuse when the attorney has to come to you and ask you why. It is never an excuse when you're proactive about it. You're seeing it. You're naming it in real time, and you're taking action on that. And you know, scheduling a stand up meeting, and you're coming like a CEO, like a business consultant, like a production cop. And you're coming from that perspective and you're spearheading it. And the second you notice this, because this is the thing when courageous conversations that I'm really passionate about, I think is employees, we have been trained, especially in the legal space, especially paralegals, that you should be lucky to have a job. You are going to come in and do what you're told put your head down, keep your mouth shut, and you will get rewarded with a paycheck at the end of two weeks or what have you. And But those were the rules that we were handed down however long ago that you started your career. But now what I'm hearing from attorneys is that might be the unspoken rule, but that's not what they're looking for. When they have a paralegal come to them, put time on their calendar, and like, okay, great. I just want to talk about, am I identifying there's a, you know, not hitting billable hours? There's a lag in the process, production, bottlenecks, and what have you. And I just want to give you my perspective. I've been tracking this. I've been auditing it. And here's where I think it starts, starts at intake. And then it starts here. I know it was cost-effective to hire the Philippines, but I went back and looked. When we had that legal assistant that was $25 an hour versus twelve fifty an hour, here was actually where it was working. It was saving you time, me time, you know, the life cycle, of the files. We had somebody here who could over-communicate with clients and cl- the customer or client experience was white glove off the charts, Would have you. They would be like, so you're like, so for the additional, you know, $7 whatever a uh, week, or an hour, a week, or what have you, here's where I see that we're actually losing money. They'd be like, all right, go hire someone.
0: Okay. That brings me to my question is because as I was listening to that, I was thinking, all right, well, what does the paralegal do then if they've read your book? They And we'll talk about the eight keys in a minute that will help them. But They're ready to have this courageous conversation. They have it. That's the issue. We'll use that as the the problem, the intake people that they were trying to save money on and outsource it. What if the attorney hasn't read your book and they're not open to courageous conversations? Does it have to be that both parties are willing to have that courageous conversation? Because one has to be willing to hear it, right? And the other has to be willing to say
1: it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They might not in the beginning, this might be new for them or what have you, but when you always anchor to the why, and so, so often I will have paralegals, legal assistants come to me like, I tried that and they shot it down. I put time on their calendar and they ditched the meeting. They were late to it. A client emergency happened, what have you. And to your point, I always say, well, your excuses are the cemetery of your dreams. So your attorney will continue to ditch meetings, be late for them, what have you, until they're not. And so it's not that I I tried that and it didn't work. Let's try it a different way. Talk to me about the language that you did use. So whether anybody reads the book, doesn't read the book, what have you, and they're like, all right, I'm willing to have a courageous conversation Of course, you can buy the book and get the information on there as well. And you put time on your attorney's calendar and you feel like you followed the framework, facts without emotion, came in with data, stated the meeting, all the things, and you were hit with resistance. You just have to try your language a different way. You just have to, so very rarely is it hit with resistance uh, and unless the why and the impact to the client, to the branding, to the reputation, to the process, to the production, to the calendar, to the money, to the life cycle, the file are not properly stated in in that regard. Sometimes, and I have a law firm in California right now, their whole law firm is going through my law firm admin bootcamp, including two of the associate attorneys because the attorney, managing attorney is very old school. He inherited this practice from his father, you know, 40 some years ago. And this is the way we always did it. And it is what it is, but it's inefficient. The process needs to be changed, what have you. And he continues to, but nope, 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 nope. But the team kept showing up every single week. He would be like, Oh, about this or that or what have you, and they kept anchoring to. I right, just want to want to point out if we can really stop sending draft documents by mail in printed paper to the clients via FedEx, then it wouldn't be this. If we can just implement this one part of the process, if we could implement this one part of the process, what have you, and every week, and they're chipping away little by little by little because it's not an either or conversation. And it's really finding that two millimeter shift and progress, not perfection. So if you feel really strong and you know, you know, like one of, you know, I always tell my students, the answer's in the room. You guys know the answers. You're on the front lines all day long. You know where the next right move is. You know the change that can really... Enhance production, efficiency, what have you, keep coming at it a different way. So it might not be no, it might be not now. It might be that they don't, they're not really hearing the why. So one powerful question when people feel like they're being matched with resistant is I will say, say to your attorney, what additional information do you need to make an informed decision? Very at, good. And if you keep asking them and you're unapologetic, respectful, but unapologetic about, you know, attorney Sam or whoever, Susie, I know I am answering the phones every single day. I am with the clients. I am in the, you know, I know this is the answer. I know this is a way for us to really, truly get to a place of efficiency. And if you always talk about the bottom line, and that's why I put that title because I believe right down to just a receptionist impact the bottom line more so than a an attorney that's billing at four seventy five an hour.
0: I I was wondering about that. That explains that. And that does make sense. I love that. Because I tell them all the time paralegals increase their bottom line. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've touched a little bit on some of the keys. I'd kind of like to like run through them and you don't have to give away all the information on it, but just generally like a little bit about each of the eight keys. I know it started with walk the walk. I like all the phrases on there. (laughs) So um, what is walk the walk?
1: Well, you know, it really comes down to where uh, so often they'll say like, walk your talk, so to speak. And we can all do that, but it feels like lip service. Uh, versus just really truly practice what you preach. So, for example, if the attorneys are constantly about, we get our time entered in real time. We uh, we make certain that we are, you know, f- no file sits on the desk for twenty four hours or whatever it might be. But you're not walking that walk. You're not living that. You know, I always say, so go the coach, so go the coachy. If they're not going to. They're gonna say, oh, this is, you know, just an Oprah moment, if you will. Like we're not we're not really gonna follow. It's a suggestion today because we know we're gonna move on to something else because we have shiny object syndrome. So it's really like practice what you preach consistently. This is why I constantly in the weekly stakeholders meeting have what didn't work about last week and what did work. And when firms really get comfortable with that, they will absolutely positively be Self-governing and also calling themselves out on what did, what didn't work because they're walking their talk.
0: And I imagine it takes some practice. You get more and more comfortable with it every time. There's a courageous
1: conversation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, All right. And, and so, oh, go ahead. And and not only that, but even I do say because sometimes you might get you might get hit with justification and excuses and reasoning, what have you, um, from attorneys or other people on the team or what have you. But if you continue to model that, especially as the owner operator or the, you know, managing, supervising, paralegal, whatever it might be, your team will then start to shadow and model that within you where you're like, okay, what didn't work about last week? is I was late to every client appointment. My client appointments were running over. It was causing me anxiety. The clients, it doesn't make them feel really great or what have you. So client service coordinator, put time on my calendar. We need to talk about how you can kind of be the cruise director and help me with that. And they're like, wow, the attorney just took responsibility for being late and going over and what have you. Now I'm going to share something where what didn't work last week from my perspective.
0: Does yeah, I sense? could totally see that. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that.
1: So the next one
0: was about being respectful. I did, It was be honest, but respectful. I guess that's that's a pretty given one. You don't want to be going in there yelling at your attorney. Um, But it kind of goes with the present it as facts and not emotion. So I think we kind of covered that one. Um, But what's the don't be a yeser? What's a yeser?
1: (laughs) Well, I, I think a lot of times when team members are caught off guard, I'm sure that people will giggle at this when you have the hallway conversation or the water cooler conversation where they're asking you information about, you know, what's the status on blah, 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 what's what have you. And a lot of times we'll just blunt out that, you know, I think it's blah, blah, blah. And then the attorney loses confidence because you don't have the data and the information. So, or if they give you something, you'll say, great, you'll take it. And you assume, we assume, team members assume that when the big boss or the attorney or what have you, because they're so busy and important, and we feel like when they give us something, we're like, okay, yes. And we have a story in our head that it means drop everything you're doing and do it right now. So a yes sir would clarify and verify. Don't be afraid to say, let me think about that. If they ask for data and information, I'm not prepared to answer that right now. I don't have the data or the information in front of me, and I don't want to you know, shrink your confidence. Uh, So can I get the information? Can I get back to you by the end of the day? Or I have an assignment. I can't really truly would Friday be okay with that. Your attorneys love that because it means you're a, a master project manager. It means that you know exactly what's coming at you, what's behind you, your project managing, your workflow, what have you. Or so often when they give you something, hey, can you scan this and do blah, blah, blah? And you're like, okay, great. Just real quick, I want to remind you from the daily huddle. These are my top three for today. And I have about four more hours on this Smith case. And if I stay in my zone and focus and I do it, we're going to get this done. We're going to get paid. We're going to what have you. So are, do you really want me to drop everything right now? Or can you ask you know, Bob to do that? And they're like, oh, forget it. I'll ask Bob, thank you. Thank you for that.
0: What if they don't? <laughs> I'm gonna well, then, I'm then gonna they, play devil's advocate. What if they don't? What if they say, you know what? Too bad about Bob's stuff. Yeah, get my stuff done.
1: Yeah, and and if they say that again, just clarifying, verifying, because very rarely do they say just get my stuff done. They 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 could. But unless you have that big piece of it, here are my top three for the day. Here's the money attached to it. Here's our reputation that's attached to it. Here's the court deadline, the implications and the why and the impact. A lot of times when, they're, when they say, just get my stuff done is because the employee is showing up like a yes, sir. They're not showing like a, up like a master project manager where they're saying, okay, great. Here's what's on deck you know, there's four more hours today, tomorrow, my day looks like this, or what have you. So do you want me to to take me off task? And for me to do this, you know, might be a two hour project or what have you, and just asking them, okay, great, based on what you're telling me, what you need right now, I uh, based on my experience, this is about a 90 minute, uh, 2.5 project or what have you, which means this is the only thing I'm going to get out today, I cannot stay late today, um, you know, I have my mother's birthday dinner or my kids recital and I made a commitment to them that I would be there on time. And I know that I can not um, get this accomplished. So when you're communicating it that way, I have never heard a firm where the attorney said too bad. When you went unless they're like, you know what, that, 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 okay, great. You know what, that all can really wait until tomorrow morning. Yes, do this right now. And then you're free as an employee, as a paralegal, as the legal assistant, you're like, great, because I'm not suffering in silence. I was really clear on what's on deck, what the implications are, what the due dates are, what the deadlines are, and what the reward is for the client and for the firm in regards to deliverables and money. And still, this is the decision. So you're okay with that because you're not like just saying yes. And then like, oh my God, do they not have any idea of all this stuff they gave me yesterday or what have you? And so we're not really truly being our own project manager and communicating because my experience attorney is like, oh gosh, I forgot I gave that to you. No, oh, I didn't know <laughs> that, you know, associate number four gave that to you. No, definitely that's a priority. I agree. Because the other side that I see is they'll take it on
0: and I didn't think about calling this a yeser, but they'll take it on and then they'll rush to get both things done and both things have mistakes in them because they don't have the time to do a good quality control check before it goes out the door.
1: And I love that You said that that's true. And the other part that I think is even more cru- crucial is then they resent that resentment mm-hmm. begins to build because when you say yes, You know, one of my very first coaches told me, it's not what you say yes to, it's what you say no to. Now, you're not saying no, you're clarifying and verifying in project management, but the greatest definition of resentment I ever heard, it's self-abandonment, where you knew that you didn't have the time, you knew what workload you had, what have you, and you didn't speak up and really from a CEO level communication, remind the asker whoever it is, attorney or boss or supervisor, whoever, and remind them of what you already have on their deck because they don't remember. They don't know.
0: I couldn't agree more. Gosh, I think about the whole like if then you also miss that birthday party because you're meeting the deadline and then I can imagine like, yeah, I really resent you now. You waited till the last minute. and Now I missed my mother's birthday party. Yeah. And
1: not only that, but if you have a spouse or children or significant other or even your siblings at the birthday party, now you're getting all the guilt and the compounding from them. And guess what your family and friends in your tribe and community are consistently telling you? Quit that job. And it's a, probably a really great firm, a really great job. But you didn't have the courage to use your voice and speak up from a true like project manager, COO level communication, facts without emotion, data, what have you, not being a yeser, walking your talk, what have you. And then eventually you get to the point where the pressure is so high and you think it is what it is. This is how law firms are run. This is how Mm -hmm. attorneys are. Attorneys are demanding and what have you. In my experience, because I talk to attorneys all day, every day and have for 26 years. That's not the truth. When you come in and try to quit on them, they're like, what the heck? I had no idea. And they're shocked. And then they're, you know, really, but by then the trust and the relationship and everything's so broken, it's very difficult to recover. I agree.
0: All right. So what does acknowledge, the next one was acknowledging others' strengths. So if you're the paralegal versus the attorney, you're acknowledging each other's strengths or other people in the firm's strengths? Both.
1: Both. So when you're using this as kind of like your core values or your framework for how we operate as a firm, and they become, so often, I love it when firms are like, hey, I'm not being a yes chick. I want to just clarify and verify or what have you. So when you're acknowledging people's strengths or what have you and having them work within their unique ability, now I'm a big fan of assessments. I use the Colby A assessments and the Gallup Strength Finder assessments and knowing everybody's, you know, how they're hardwired, what their DNA is and how they take action, how they like to give information and receive information in the best way and we're very, very, very clear on how each one of us are hired uh, hardwired, then we focus on that when we're giving assignments, when we're giving projects, especially as you're on scaling up and your firm of growth and we're, you know, getting more business and people are up leveling and what have you. Sometimes we're like, oh, you know, Anne's the best person. She's been here for 20 years or what have you. She could take this on. Now we're going to start, she's going to start doing client meetings and replacing me there or what have you. And that might, you might be an extreme introvert and you might just really like paper versus process, you know, paper and process versus people. And so really getting clear how each one of us are hardwired in our strengths and not spending a tremendous amount of time, if any, focusing on weaknesses. And really when it comes time, and it goes back to that, don't be a yeser. Because a lot of times, if we're asked to do something, that we're adding a new step in the process, we're adding a new service, or we're up leveling, and you're going to move into not just the paralegal, you're going to move into the senior paralegal or managing paralegal. But you don't really, that's not what lights you up. It's not your strong suit or what have you, but you believe that's the only way that you can have more opportunity and growth and what have you. And when you focus on what truly your strengths are, that's not how I want to make more money. I want more opportunity or what have you. And so we all know that Anne's the best person for that position. Let's get her in there, but give me more caseloads and give me a legal assistant. And then I could get more billable hours. And I just want to be what Process and production and what have you. I don't love the people's side of it. So, and being like, okay, great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've seen paralegals, I've actually seen it firsthand. Paralegals take on the paralegal coordinator role because they think, you know, they're the coordinator in that office and they end up leaving the firm, a firm that they were at and got put in that position because they've been there for 10, 15 years, loved working there and thought okay they've asked me to do this i'll be the person and they hated it they hated it and then they they took it resent maybe they were resentful yes. and
1: they end up leaving a great firm well i love that you just said something that's really really key they got put in that position and that's the thing gang none of you are here to be do what you're told your attorneys really don't want you to so they're giving you an opportunity And you might take it on and then have amnesia and forget. Or maybe you're not sure. You're like, I'm willing to give it a try and take it on. You get in there and you don't like it. But again, you have those meetings. You're not a yeser. You're consistently coming with facts without emotion or what have you. And how great if you have that courageous conversation with your attorney up front. It's not saying so often I'll hear from paralegals. I'll do whatever it takes for the firm. I'm a team player. I, we have a lot of this head trash that if we're really, really clear on what we're very good at, uh, at our strengths, we have a culture of courageous conversations. We're consistently anchoring to facts without emotion or what have you. It doesn't mean any of this godly cook that we believe that I'm being negative, Nancy. I don't mean to complain. Like all these pre-qualifier words. No, you're professional and you are gonna work in your unique ability and strength and you're gonna communicate that. And so you might decide to become the case manager or you know, coordinator what have you. And realize very quickly, that's not your strong suit. Pay attention to the almighty gut pay attention to your energy, pay attention to your resentment, pay attention to your stress and your frustration. And it doesn't have to be that way as long as we're having upfront communication in real time. Yeah,
0: thank you. There's going to be some quotes pulled out of that one. (laughs) I can tell already. I love that. Paralegals are going to love that. Um, You kind of touched on the next one a little bit, but I want to kind of outline it clear because I think it's super important. And that is um, one of the eight is to um, be careful or choose the time and place carefully, because I think that is huge. These courageous conversations shouldn't be happening when somebody's rushing out the door to go to a client meeting.
1: No, exactly. And so often, I think you know, the quick question or got a minute request, Already causes for we, it already sets the stage that there's not ample time. You're not prepared for this, and I'm coming at it with my agenda and catching you off guard. So, you know, same place, same time, and kind of bundling your issues for your dedicated, if you have the structure and the framework for your weekly meetings. So, where we have our daily huddle check ins, where we're doing, but our all, all team members, all company meetings and checking in our case review meetings, our attorney meetings, whatever. So when you have hardwired time in the calendar and you're like, okay, great. My caseload is crushing me right now. It's been happening for about two weeks. I've been paying attention to it. I've been tracking it. I have proposed solution. You're not going to sling an email for that. You're like, we can't solve it. It's going to create communication ping pong. I'm going to batch it for the meeting. I'm going to batch it for my time. If there's not time, then you're going to put time on the calendar. Like I said um, earlier, where you're going to schedule it on the calendar with whoever you need to, you're going to set the agenda, you're going to preface what it's about, what have you, and you're going to show up prepared. But there's nothing worse than, you know, I hear this from attorneys all the time. They're like, I was just about ready to go on a podcast or give a presentation or what have you. And I had a 10 minute break and then Susie walks in. She's like, Hey, do you have a minute? I just want to let you know that our biggest case just fired us. That's not the time to give that information. There's nothing your attorney can do with that information or what have you at that time. And it goes both ways. It goes for coworkers, what have you really being aware of what the person just walked out of, what type of meeting, what they're about to work on, et cetera. That, you know, you're not gonna um, tell them that we got a bar complaint when they're walking out the door going to their wife's, you know, 50th birthday dinner where they finally are showing up on time, what have you? You have to ask yourself, like, does this information have to be delivered right now? Very good point. Very How good. will this impact? So often attorneys will say to me, oh, I walked into this consultation, getting ready or paralegals because it goes all the way up. You know, i was getting ready to walk into this consultation with the, a, a prospective client. It was going to be a $20,000 fee, what have you. And the receptionist just, when I was coming out of the bathroom, told me that she quits. Well, you're, you're responsible for the energy you're bringing in the room and you leave in the room and- The client's going to feel that. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, so I I know we've been going on for a little bit longer than we planned. um, And so I'm going to leave the other ones for them to go buy the book. Okay, great. Go buy the book, fix your boss. Um, And also, because I want to ask one question that I know I was thinking and everybody asks me, so I know they're going to be asking you. How do you have the courageous conversation about, I'm underpaid, I am severely underpaid and or I'm already looking and I got a job offer. How do they have the courageous conversation before they start looking?
1: Oh, my goodness. I love that. Well, even with paralegals, you don't even have to be looking in this day and age. You're probably getting hammered by recruiters like myself <laughs> if you uh, if you have any kind of digital or online Footprint. I love that conversation because honestly, when you have the, um, so if you're in a point where you need to have this conversation, you have it exactly like you did um, with that. You schedule time on their calendar. I'm okay if you put in there that um, I want to talk about my pay. This is assuming you do not have an employee growth plan. You do not do quarterly reviews. You do not have an incentive-based bonus structure within your firm, what have you. If you don't have that really uh, culture within your law firm and you're at that point, this second you feel that, go have the conversation. It's never going to get easier and your work product's going to suffer you're going to be bringing it at home. You're going to begin to resent coming into the office, what have you. So the second you have that conversation, again, facts without emotion. And this is when I tell them, I'm like, schedule the time, put it on the calendar and show up prepared and you just really have a vulnerable, real conversation. Listen, attorney. You know, I, I'm. It's difficult for me to have this conversation, but I really respect our relationship. I respect the firm, and I love the work that I get to do here. But here's the truth of the matter. You know, right now, I'm re- I'm getting hit up by recruiters. You know that how tight the industry is. My goal is not to hold you hostage, but based on my work product, I you know the going rate, and what and you make a s- proposed solution. So, right now, I'm making $55,000 a year. I've been here for four years. We haven't had a formal raise. I would love to help you with instilling that process within there. But right now, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I don't want to talk to any recruiters. But right now, and I've been feeling this for some time, I feel I'm worth $55,000 base. Uh, And, um, you know, here's the value that I bring to the firm. And I'm just letting you know I'm, I'm, starting to feel like I want to go look for another job simply because of pay I've had my team members come to me all the time when you have a culture of courageous conversations upfront conversations in real time what have you they're you know it's they're not really heavy and hard anymore because you're coming with the facts without emotions and you're just being really really, adult about it and you're giving them the facts and the information. So they get to make an informed decision. If they say, "Well, the budget doesn't we don't have that within the budget or what have you?" Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's up to you for how much you want that position. You say, "Okay, great. Then I am going to let you know that I I'm going to start entertaining looking because I haven't had a raise in 4 years or what have you, but I do know if you go out to the marketplace You're going to be paying this anyways. And it's it's the truth. So often when I have team members, and I'm really, 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 really proud of this since 2020, especially when the legal market got completely flipped on its head, unemployment rate for associate attorneys was less 1.8% for paralegals. It was under 3%, what have you. And so many paralegals that would call me and they're like, I'm getting hit by recruiters. So I can make $10,000 more. I'm like, don't you dare take that job without going in and really have an adult conversation with your attorney? Because guess what? There's so much personal and professional growth for you in just having this conversation because you already have a safety net. You already know you have another job making the money you want, but- You just quitting and not giving yourself the gift of personal, professional growth by having this conversation, it will transform your whole life. And like 99.9% of the time people come back, they're like, oh my gosh, not only did I get the raise, then we are instilling quarterly employee growth plans. I'm, I'm in charge of creating a bonus structure. And we talked about, you know, blah, blah, blah and they're just so incredibly proud of themselves for having this conversation. Yeah. The, the personal growth that comes out of it cuz I always say you're either running from or running to. So if you're going you feel like you're being underpaid and you're 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 you know, you're easy out for that is just to find another job that's making you money. You're missing the point of really truly being on a path of true growth. People tell me I want growth. I want more opportunity or what have you. I'm like, does that mean money? Or does that mean confidence? Does that mean like, talk to me about, so be really clear about what that means. Because if you're just going to leave and and really rob yourself of having that adult upfront CEO type conversation, you're really not growing. You're just chasing money. And at the end of the day, you know, you're still not giving yourself that up. That really, truly like career opportunity.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. Gosh, you probably see these posts on social media. Like instead of going to social media, complaining in a paralegal group about how you're underpaid Mm -hmm. and you know the market is higher, go talk to your boss about it. Right. Yeah. That, you know, it's interesting that you told me that, that if you, they're digital, if they're online, they're going to be sought out by recruiters because it just made me realize I completely forgot about this back in, I don't know, five years ago or so, I was doing a live training at a law firm. I won't say what city, but big city. So no firm will know that it's them. And I remember the office manager or director or whatever saying that their paralegals, their staff. We're not allowed to have LinkedIn accounts. And I was like, well, wait a minute. LinkedIn is for professional networking. They can get they can get learning, you know, not just the premium version, the LinkedIn learning, but they can join these professional association groups. It's kind of like networking, but not having to go to the networking dinner. And she was like, No, no. They'll nope. They they all know. If they create a LinkedIn account, they'll be let go. Now I know why.
1: Well yeah, this, so there's something severely wrong with the mindset and the culture. I know from that because I I always tell law firms like, "Okay, great. They're, they don't have a LinkedIn account, but do you have them posted on your website?" And most people do, and I'm like, that's, you know, like having a LinkedIn profile. If they're if they're out there, they're going to find them if you have them on your website. But there's something wrong with that mindset. I know. And that culture around that um, in this day and age, it probably would not get away with that. Because if you treat your people great, you give them time, attention, and feedback. They, You can have courageous conversations. I, My favorite, Anne, is as a legal recruiter, when I inbox people and um, I send them a message and I say, hey, are you being treated well? Are you making the money you want? Do, would you want to hear about an amazing opportunity I have? My favorite is when people reply and say, no, thank you. I love my job so much. They have a LinkedIn profile, but they're getting paid really well. And their core values are just baked into the blood of that law firm. That is, I try to go find out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I want to find the owner of that law firm and send them a message and say, whatever you are doing, keep doing it. Because there are certain law firms out there really big law firms across the country that we will hit every one of their attorneys, every one of their paralegals, and 100% of them say, no way, Jose, we love it here.
0: But then the opposite side of that, this is what I knew as a paralegal manager, is you also know the firms that had the big turnover. They had what was called hazard pay, which means you'll make extra money going there, but it's because you're going to be working for some jerk attorneys. And you would know you could poach people from that firm they'd be gone in six months to a year so yeah oh my gosh well I kept you for so long I'm I'm so sorry thank Thank you you. for giving so much time the listeners the watchers everybody who've used this please go buy Molly's book and in fact here's what I would suggest if you really want to have the courageous conversation and you know that maybe your boss isn't going to be going through the airport anytime soon seeing this book on the shelf buy two copies I was, that's what I would do. If I was still a paralegal, I would buy a copy for myself and a copy for my attorney and say, I'd love to do this together.
1: Yes. That was always, thank you. That was the intention. Here's for your listeners too. If any of you are really struggling with how to have the courageous conversation about money, about process, production, workload, what have you, just please, and can put my link, um, Molly at hiringandempowering.com. I'd be happy to hop on a complimentary call with any of you to support you.
0: That would be awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely include the link. And if you want to include any other information, so Molly's got a podcast. The name of your podcast, Molly?
1: Hire and Empower. And the, the URL for your website www.hiringandempowering.com. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Molly having courageous conversations thank you for having me (laughs) all right
0: bye for now all right that's it for today's episode thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed today's show hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening and please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.